Hey guys, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a space where we explore the science, the stories and the strategies of getting out of your comfort zone so you can find where your magic happens. Today's guest is pretty special. Um, her name is Salema Garani. She is a highly successful um business consultant um, and she's helped countless major corporations become what they are today. Uh, she is a super connector and a life leadership expert. She's an author. Um, she's a wife. She's a mum. She is, yeah, a whole a whole raft of things um, and that she fits them all together in a, in a seamless manner. Uh, today we have a chat about a whole range of things around uh, building your network, creating your own values, facing up to challenges, uh, and a whole lot of other stuff. Make sure you check out what Salama does. Uh, she's a, a pretty inspiring woman, um, and I was lucky enough to have a conversation with her today. And I'm looking forward to having a few more with her as well. So guys, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with Salama and I today. Welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me today. It's an absolutely pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Fantastic. Now, I usually like to start off with a little bit of background about people, about uh, where they're from, where they grew up. Were, were there any sort of big formative experiences in your youth that have kind of shaped you into the person you are today? <laughs> Just yes. a real, real small question to, to begin with. Yeah, and thank you, thank you for the question because uh, I like to think about where I am from and what shaped me and why am I the person that I am today. First of all, I'm born in Morocco. Uh, I'm half Danish and half Moroccan. You know, that combination is very rare. Mm. Uh, my mom fell in love with my dad. He, was a, he, he came on a boat to Denmark in the 70s and she ran away from her husband uh, and two kids and married this a Moroccan and she, you know, everyone hated her for it and people disliked my dad and I was this brown child growing up in that white, white community. And all my life, people looked at me with a slight, slight amount of discomfort. You know, they didn't like me. I was brown. My dad was a Muslim. Remember, I'm from a very small country, Denmark. It's 5.2 million people. And at this time, there was no really brown kids around, right? And uh, so when I went to school, everywhere, my name, the way I looked, I was the only one, right? I was the only one all my life, the only one. And I felt super isolated. I even remember when I had my birthdays, people didn't come to my birthdays. My mom and dad didn't have any money. They went bankrupt twice. He couldn't get a job. We always, we never had money. Uh, I'm, not I'm not very smart, but I'm very active in school. Uh, I had some issues with my parents, so I even I ran away when I was 13, 
Uh, and I was picked up by the police. I lived in the streets. They put me in children's home. I came to foster care. You know, endless, endless amount of institutions in and out, thrown out of school. Uh, my teachers told me that I would never reach very far because I was a woman. I was dark and my name was Sulaima. I think I'm the only one still with that name, actually. So the thing is, everyone told me that I would never, never, never reach very far. The thing is, the truth being is I never read statistics, right? So I didn't know that I would never reach anywhere. I just knew that I had a burning fire in terms of being, uh, you know, I want to make a living. I want Money was important to me. I wanted to be secure. I want to feel loved. I want to have an impact. I wanted to leave a, tr you know, leave something behind for people like me. I felt it was very unfair that I, as a kid, brown or white, shouldn't feel welcome in a country, you know? And um, so without even knowing it, I was on my path even when I was, yeah, 15, 16, 17. And not so long ago, I met some of my students who were studying with me uh, at high school. And I was giving this big keynote in Copenhagen. And they came to me afterwards and said, you know, we, we went to school. We remember you. You were just like this. You know, you're just the same. You were on fire. You talk about politi politics and society and you're really... So I think what built me was that people didn't want me, right? So now I, I'm still the only one. I receive, you know, I receive still, I, re I receive rewards all the time. The 40 under 40, the 30 of this or the first of this or number one of this or the woman of that or top this or top that or... Uh, and still I'm the only one. So, but now at least I've changed that in my mind. I, I no longer see myself as the only brown person in Denmark receiving all these things. Now I think about myself as being the first one. So I hope that I inspire many, many, many more women and men of color to dare to speak up and take positions in small white communities as Denmark or Norway or Sweden or whatever in Scandinavia. And uh, so that's, I think that shaped me pretty much, you know, and the boys never hit on me. I was not the, the typical beauty, you know, boys wouldn't hit on me or anything. And I think it's actually, it's good because it kept me on track, you know, while they were partying, I studied. While they were sleeping, I was working. While they were buying lipsticks, I bought books, you know. So I think in a way, by by not wanting me, they built me into that strong person I am today. And I've been through so many things. You can imagine, you know, that upbringing was really tough. I I feel so strong. Deep inside my core, I'm so strong. And sometimes I'm, I feel so strong that I get afraid of myself. Like, strong doesn't mean cold or anything. I'm the warmest, nicest person, I think. I'm very proud of who I am. But I'm so strong. And I I built that simply because people didn't want me. So they were trying to bend me or break me or whatever. But the only thing that got out that that happened was that I that I became so strong. Mm. <laughs> How long did it take you to build that strength? So first of all, not a lot of people believed in me. I mean, I think more people believe in me today, at least if you're from the Nordics, because I mean, it's impossible not to at least hear about me or have to listen to me. Either it's on radio or newspaper. I mean, you have to deal with me, right? Either you like it or not. So, but I had a few people, let's say 10 people in my life. I think I could make a list of 10 people, only 10 people who kept saying, keep walking, 
you're doing the right thing, keep walking. So my thesis is you don't need a lot of support. You just need a very few amount of people who you respect, who trust in you and support you. One of them is, of course, my husband. I've been with him for 23 years. You can imagine I was 20, 20 years at that time. And he was 18. And his unconscious love like helped me a lot because I think I would not have been where I am today if not at least one person would love me so much. Uh, I'm not easy to be married with. It's not a. It's not always a happy life, but it's a very interesting life, right? So I think by him loving me so much gave me that foundation. If I had to fight all the fights I've been fighting, and if I also had to fight for love, and you know, I'm not sure I would have made it. So ten people who support you, a good mentor, and then love. That's probably what built my my strength. Does it make sense? That does make sense. That does make sense. Mm. Um, were those 10 people involved in your life already or were they people that you needed to go out and and find and uh, kind of bring into your life? Yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't get – I didn't get any support from my family, meaning – I mean, my mom and dad could help me, but uh, they didn't know how to help me because – They've never been in my situation, right? I grew up in a different time. That's that's how it is with most parents. They don't know how to help their kids because the time that the kids, that kind of environment that they're growing up in, we've never been there before, right? So they can only support them with love or whatever. And the thing is, uh, I couldn't I couldn't get help from my mother-in-law, I mean, my husband's family, because they always thought I was a little bit too ambitious and unrealistic. So whenever I talked about, you know, in five years, I'm going to get my MBA, I'm going to be studying at Harvard someday, I'm going to be studying at Yale, I'm going to be in the newspaper one day, you know, they couldn't stop laughing, you know, no one really took me serious. So I didn't get any support from them either. And my friends, really? No, not either. Because I think a lot of people, and there's nothing wrong with that, a lot of people, what they're seeking in life is a comfortable life, you know? routines, a nice house, a good spouse, a few kids, sports, you know, uh, happy weekends, go for a trip once in a while, have a job you like, maybe you like it, uh, make money, make a, a fair amount of money. Me, on the other hand, I wanted to become the first, the only one, the, you, know, the, you know, so my ambitions were so different. So they didn't support me either. Actually, I make them uncomfortable by being so ambitious because you ha when you have friends who are super ambitious and super eager to do good in the world that demands interesting conversations and ask big questions right about politics or society or whatever then you destroy what is cozy right oh i we should we should just have a nice evening and drink wine why all this you know suddenly discussions on politics or religion or whatever and I've never been good at just hanging out. I, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on fire. So I made most of my friends a little bit uncomfortable. So I felt very alone. What I did, though, is um, when I was around 20, 23, I, I, I decided where I want to be in my life. Five, 10, 15 years from now. And then I started thinking about how to build a strategic network. And you have to remember, this is 20 years ago. There was no Google. I couldn't Google strategic networking. I don't even think there was a book on this, at least not in Danish, right? And I couldn't speak English at that time. So, you know, there was no way I could get access to this information. I just knew 
that if I'm here and I want to get here, then I need to find out what competences do I need? How much time do I need? How much money and energy do I need? Money, I never had money. Energy, yes, but I needed the right energy. Competences, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I have a few talents. How to bring these few talents into the broader perspective? How to engage people and let them understand that they need my energy or skills within communication or whatever to fulfill this ambition? So even in the 20s, I was very much aware of building a network. But I lived in small cities, you know. I didn't have access to, I mean, all the people I knew had been in that city forever. I mean, there was no way. I was really, I talked to my kids this morning about it. Like I said, you know, when I grew up, I didn't even, I didn't even have the boyfriends that I really wanted to have because I couldn't choose. You know, that was just these guys. I couldn't change school if I didn't like the school. I couldn't change my neighbor. You know, it just, you were just stuck. I remember the first 15 years of my life as being stuck and depressed. I was like feeling that I was yeah, buried alive, you know. I couldn't breathe. But I no one in my no one understood me, you know. And I wanted so badly to become normal because if I could just take a pill and relax, marry some dude, you know, get a job, I'm sure I would have an easier and probably even happier life. But I couldn't. And I was so terrified and unhappy that I just wasn't normal so I built my strategic network and the first thing I did was to say okay I need a guy I need an old white man you know because most businesses are done with white men yet I'm not a white man how would I ever know what white what white men are thinking so I decided to get a mentor I didn't know at this time that I would have the best mentor in the world but I I, I later realized I got one uh, I I picked on one of the few teachers that I knew has been traveling, who knew stuff about, you know, what's going on outside the country, started to have uh, bold conversations with these people. And then slight, slowly but very uh, efficiently, I built myself a network. And today I write and give speeches everywhere in the world on how to build strategic networks because I think it's the best and most important skill because no matter what happens in your life, if you have the right network, or at least if you know where you're going and you know how to build a network, you will never feel fearful. You will never feel alone. You will never be in a situation where you don't know how to do resolve some conflicts or situation or matter because you would know who to call. So I spend still 30% of my day is about networking. I spent one hour and a half this morning on networking. I do it every day, every day. Like other people do yoga, I do that too. But I think, I mean, networking for me is as important as sport, taking a shower, whatever. I spend at least one hour, two hours a day only building, nurture, expanding my strategic network still. And how do you pick the people that you want to have in your strategic network? Like are there, are there qualities in people that you look for? Are mm. there skill sets? Mm. What? Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a combination of all the things you just mentioned. First of all, you need to know where you're going, right? Because what is a strategic network? Strategic networking means you know where you're going. So the first big question you have to ask yourself, where do you want to go? Do you want to become a doctor or do you want to become, do you want to have that house, you know, or do you want to live here or you want to do this? When you know where you're going, then you have a target, you know, you, you know, what, what, you know what, what you're aiming for. 
So let's say you want to have, uh, let's say you want to go to Australia and you want to, um, you want to build a farm and you want to live in Australia. The first thing you have to understand is, do I know someone from Australia? Do I know anyone into farming? Do I, you know, then you start building that network that can take you closer to that. But you cannot, you cannot just call people and say, help me to build a farm in Australia, right? You have, you have to understand what you can trade with. You have to understand how to get introduced to these people. You have to build it. You have to give before you take something out of your relation. You know, that's a huge amount of work. So it's also very important to say you cannot have a big network. I mean, you can, but it's impossible to nurture a big network. Most people don't need more than 30 people in the network, maybe even 10, even less. But you have to understand where you're going. So look, look at where you're going, look at what you need, and then you start looking for people who have these specific skills or access to people who have access to whatever you need to, to get done. And then you start finding out how to get in touch with these people, how to be introduced. And I would add another layer. I cannot do, I cannot do business and I turn down business almost every day based on one criteria and that is values if the people have the wrong values i cannot do business with them so over the years maybe it's because i'm i'm older i cannot do business with someone who have made their money in a wrong way and i i don't care about if they have billions even if they came to the money in a way that i don't think is humane or good i cannot do business with them or if that person is known for being I don't know, you know, whatever. It's, it's, I cannot do it. Uh, so I, I, let me give you a concrete example. So I have this big community, online big community, and uh, and a guy, he wrote to me, you know, I can give you access to 60,000 people. 60,000 people is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I want to highlight your community, and, you know, I can make sure that a lot of my my members become members in your network, and I think it could be a mutual benefit for both of us. And then I said, oh, that's interesting. Who is your investor? Because he said, I just received a certain amount of money. And then he gave me a name on that investor. And that investor I happened to know 15 years ago. He was always surrounded by prostitutes. He drinks a lot. You know, he was like probably like a lot of other guys. But I was just like, no, you know what? I cannot do business with him. So I turned down that business and I, I walked back to my husband and I said, you know, I just turned down a business with potentially 60, 70,000 members and that will make me a living for the next 10 years so i turned down businesses because of values and you know why because if i've i realized if i sell out of my values if i prostitute myself in my life i just realized it's toxic and poison so unfortunately i'm that kind of person that i cannot have assholes in my life i cannot have toxic people in my life i cannot do business where i don't totally agree with the with the with the, with the values so again, it's complicated, but it's actually very refreshing to be honest about it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's that's such an important thing that you've just said there, but people are going to be asking as well. Um, yeah, obviously, you're, you're pretty successful at the moment. Mm. Has that mm. always been the way that you have done business? Because it's easy to do business when you're already no. successful that way, <laughs> when you're starting out. No. No, 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 no. I had to witness a lot of things. So remember, I came into the IT industry in the, in the late 90s, right? Super young, uh, no women. I was maybe, oh, sometimes I was the only women at this conference or, you know, my, my clients were only men, CTOs and CFOs and CEOs from the biggest retail chains all over the world. And here I was young, I was a woman. 
I had to face a lot of things like going to strip bars. Uh, I, I was doing business in Japan, China, whatever. I had to get really drunk, going to karaoke bar in the middle. You know, don't even get me started. I've seen so much. Um, but, but I have to say, though, most men have been respecting me. I, have, I don't have a lot of Me Too stories, but I do know that it exists. Again, I'm not that kind of woman that men usually hits on. I, it's, I think it's kind of interesting. So I've not, ha- I've not had these situations so much, but I've seen so much. And I couldn't, I thought at that point that that was just the way you did business until, as you say, at some point I was so successful and I could start saying no and I could afford saying no. I could afford to say no. And I realized it doesn't harm my business. So yes, it's easy for me to have these high values now because I can afford it. Uh, I don't know if I could have done that earlier, but one of the things I talk a lot about in my books, my talks with my investors, I actually values. So because I realize this this importance of values, I talk about it a lot. So I hope by talking about it, I can make students, girl and, girls and boys, whatever. Uh, I'm on the global on the global board for global dignity it's a worldwide organization led by the his royal highness crown prince of norway hakan and many many other things i talk about values all the time so i think i hope that i pay back by realizing this later later in life i hope i can impact people's choices much earlier on and for instance i have this saying uh you have to uh cast your employer you know He's not only interviewing you, you should be interviewing him or her. You should ask him or her about these things. What are the values? And when you, when you, when you, when you take in a new client, you should look at the values because the reason number one, why you might not be successful together as an employee, employer, client, customer is never really on the business fit, right? It's, it's very often based on the values. So yes, yes, it's true. I've not always been able to act on values but since i'm doing it now i hope that i impact the world for the better much early on through others does it make sense it does make sense yeah and thank you for your honesty with that as well it's i mean it would be easy to say yeah i've just done this my 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 whole time (laughs) trying uh, (laughs) trying game the the podcast a little bit um i want to keep talking about values but i have one quick uh one other quick question about networking yeah. Do you bring people in and out of your network as you need them as well? And how do you decide, oh. <laughs> if you do, how do you decide, okay, I need to let this person go or I need to bring this yeah. person in? Well, you know, this is probably the toughest part of networking because if you have people in your life, would you get, do you just throw them out but you have no, no, no need for them anymore? That's not how it works. But of course, your life is changing, right? I mean, a network is like any other organic thing. It develops. It changes all the time. People move. People move jobs. Uh, you know, there's always happening a lot of things. So let me give you an example. I just, two years ago, I moved to the U.S. I moved to Texas. So I spent all my time building my local Texan network. And three weeks ago, I moved to California. So... I don't spend, of course, it's a no-brainer. I don't spend as much time on my Texan network right now, right? As I do in these past few days after I came back from Switzerland uh, for on a trip I just went to. I've been spending night and day, dinners, early gym uh, networks, you know, a lot of things 
the last three days building my California network. Does it make sense? So people in Texas are not a, are not like angry or disappointed. They understand. But nowadays you can nurture your network much more efficiently. I remember 15 years ago, you had to print your business cards. You had to go out every single night, dinners, conferences, meetings. You had to go for breakfast meetings. I mean, I spent so much time with people to have FaceTime, like not FaceTime on phone, but FaceTime. And it took forever to build a network. Though it was a very strong network because you meet people, you you eat together, you travel together, you go through uncomfortable things together, like finding a taxi in the middle of the morning in Japan or whatever. These things built a strong community and a strong network. While today I can meet someone and then we will link on LinkedIn and we might exchange business cards and then we, we take the rest over, you know, social media, whatever. And I, I think uh, it's difficult today to build strong, long lasting relationships. That is more like fast consumption in network. However, I know how to build these long lasting relationships, but I can only do that with a few amount of people because it takes a lot of time. Network takes time because you need to sit with the person, you have to go somewhere with the person, you have to work with the person because just drinking coffee doesn't really build a strategic relationship. You have to work on something, do something. It can be community work, church work, you know, just whatever. You have to do something with these people. But yes, sometimes I spend more time with people because then it makes sense for me to spend time on it. And then I might have a period of time where I spend less time with them. But it's, it's all about how you uh, stage it. Because by writing, like I did, the nicest email to people in Texas, I know this is, this is a surprise. I'm actually moving already in a few weeks to California. Thank you for everything. Here's my contact details. Please come by. I'm going to be back in March. Let's meet. Let's, you know, then people are okay. But if you just suddenly don't call them anymore, that doesn't work. And, you know, people from Texas actually do come to California. <laughs> so, so I will still see them, but it's going to be different here. But yes, and sometimes you have to unfriend people real life too. I say that's very important too. Sometimes you realize this person is toxic or this person is not who he or she said he was. or And then you just unfriend them. I mean, you. I always like to be, I always like to confront people with the truth. You know, that's my weapon. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm very like, I, a sport coach told me a few years ago that you have to dare to be, uncomfortable like being happy with being uncomfortable talking about your podcast so I taught myself to go in and do things that makes me highly uncomfortable makes me shake make me nervous makes me want to hide away but I take the confrontation I tell people you know this is the reasons why I don't want to be associated with you anymore and you cannot walk around and call me your friend because I am not your friend like I, I will take these conversations too because business people come into, they get into trouble, right? They might do something that is criminal. They might have been, I don't know, done something with the companies or whatever. So sometimes you actually have to unfriend people and it's fine with me. I, I, I've probably been unfriended too, you know, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a really uncomfortable thing to do actually is to bring that confrontation to someone whereas I mean it's much it's much more comfortable just to kind of just withdraw not contact someone and and be quiet that's that's not good you know you I have two kids I have a son he's 10 he's probably gonna be dating in a few years and I'm like I'm already talking to him like you cannot 
break up with girls on texts or whatever, you know, that's just not the way to do it. You have to invite her, go out, see her, tell her. And, uh, and, and I hope girls will do that to you too. Right. And, um, I've, I've seen managers who fire people, but they, they will actually let the HR assistant do all the talking. And I'm like, why don't you just, I know there's something about legal and lawsuits or whatever, and what you can say and what you want what, what, and whatnot. But I'm I'm a big fan of the truth, you know. I want to know if I've done something wrong. I want to know if I if I'm horrible at something. I want to know the truth. So by speaking the truth, you get the truth. Mm, mm. And do you do you see that uh, that people are getting worse at those conversations now than they used to be with the with the kind of rise <laughs> of of social media and almost the sort of the consumer outlook around friendship and, and networks, you like mm-hmm. look, hang out with someone for a while and then just pass them on yeah. when you become bored? Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think uh, the consumption, like we consume so fast and I think that goes with relationships too. I mean, Tinder, t- I've, I've never been on Tinder, of course I'm married, um, but the thing is you that changes the behavior of relationships, right? And I, I just saw that there's a new app for networking that is based on Tinder, right? And I think, you know, that's that's interesting. I don't know it, and I can't really say anything about apps and that kind of technology. And I, I, I see it has a purpose because it makes you very efficient. But you see, network is not only about efficiency. It's about building a foundation of a long-lasting, informal, trustworthy invest uh, security uh, for you and that person that you're networking with. So I'm more to, I am more into slow networking than fast networking. But yeah, I think, you know, it's so easy just not to return calls. Nowadays, you can see who is calling you. I remember when I was a child, you had actually had to pick up the phone because you didn't know who was calling. So all these kind of things makes it easier for people just to skip or whatever. On the other hand, technology today has been make, have made it possible for people to sit in New Zealand, right, and have a conversation with someone uh, in California and build a network there. And the FaceTiming, Skype, everything has made it possible for people to be together without being at the same location at the same time. So yes and no. But yeah, I see that people people want things to happen fast, right? And it has to be quick. And uh, network is not about being quick. It's about building a strong relationship that lasts for, for a very long time. But until you get very good at networking, you might get a lot of wrong people in your network that's going to suck all your energy and your time and they want to meet and they want to catch up and they take all your time. But that's because you haven't done the real mapping, right? You haven't been good enough in looking for the real people. Yeah, yeah. I think that actually that segues quite nicely back into uh, talking about values as well. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. building your network is is based on the values that you're that you have for yourself but also that you're looking for in people how and mm. i think probably the the best starting point with that is how did you figure out your own values because that's that's oh, where yeah. it, it all comes from really oh did, did did you know that finding your own values are probably the most difficult thing to do it's so easy to throw you know, the word values around and, you know, you cannot go into any company without them. They might not talk about the values. They might not live by the values, but they have them somewhere, you know, maybe framed behind the receptionist or something. I mean, but what is values? Values is the only, that's your four cornerstones in your life, right? These are the things, these are the, the foundations of 
how you make sure you don't get lost, how you make sure to make the right investments, how you make sure to spend time with the right people, how you make sure to do this or that. So it's the foundation. And honestly speaking, I found my values really six years ago. I went to the Kennedy School uh, and I met a professor at Harvard Kennedy. Uh, and he is his name is Bill George. And he's like a super old, experienced uh, CEO for a big listed company. And he's written a book called True North. And True North is, you know, how to find your true north. Being an author myself of development books and motivational, whatever, I was like, yeah, really, another one, right? But he gave me one big task, and it took me two weeks to actually fully understand. Because I was a little bit lost at that time. I was a speaker. I was a board member. I was an author. You know, I, everyone was like saying, why don't you take on a job? Because truth being is I've been fired three times in my life. I don't think a lot of people have been fired three times, but I have been. And I never understood why I was fired because I work hard. I'm determined. I work long hours. I'm good at my job. But I always end up being fired. And I didn't, like, I really wanted to understand why. And then he made me realize, you know, that I shouldn't be employed. I should be a consultant and everything. I should own and be proud of who I am and my purpose in life and all that. That's a whole different story. But the thing is, he gave me that task, define four values. You might have 20, but just give me four or five. And I was like, I had a lot of struggling going on because from I was 25, people kept saying, you're going to be the next CEO of a listed company. Being from my country, Still, no woman have ever had that position. So people start saying that was really a big thing. They kept saying, you know, um, you should do this and you should do that. And all I actually wanted was a, um, a life where I could work from anywhere. And I wanted to work with whatever I felt like working on. And I wanted to have a family. And I wanted to be with my husband that I love so dearly. And I don't, I just don't, I didn't just want to see him in the weekends. And I, I dearly want, I really wanted to become a mom. At that time, the only moms I knew that was working didn't see their kids or didn't have kids, right? So I didn't have a really, nowadays you have tons of role models of working moms, but I did not have that. And all the women who were working for big companies looked like men, right? So I was like super like, anyway, but six years ago, I started working with my values and uh, and I, I, at that point, I knew that women could be feminine and women could have kids. And But my, my core understanding of how to be successful was still you need to get a job. You need to be employed in a big company and work long hours. That was kind of my definition deep inside. And I knew that that would kill me because there's one thing that I can never sell. And I realized that and I cried in my Harvard class. I cried when I realized that my number one value it's freedom. And I think if you ask people, I think most people would put freedom as a value. But freedom for some people might be, oh, I know I have my job. It gives me freedom to go on vacation. I know I have my salary. It gives me freedom that I know that I don't have to think about this or that. My freedom means freedom of location, freedom of people, freedom from everything. Totally free, like a free soul. And that is so expensive and so difficult to be a free pe person. So I couldn't, like, how do, how do I build an international career being free? Who's going to pay my bills? 
what if I don't want to be in Denmark? What if I don't want to be in Europe? What if I don't want to be in the US? What if I want to live in Singapore tomorrow? What if I want to, how do I do that? So freedom was my cornerstone. I'm the last person standing. My entire family have died from cancer or whatever. Uh, so health is very important. I used to be, you might like this because I know, Chris, you do a lot of sports. I, I've always been into extreme running and I was actually a Miss Fitness candidate years back for Denmark. You know, I like pushing myself physically. I, I was a spinning instructor. I did all this in the evenings because I, I don't know, I, me feeling physically strong makes me feel strong in all other areas in my life. So I, I like to see myself as a sports person, sportsman. And when people ask me to slow down, they do that all the time. I mean, now you have reached, you know, pretty much what's possible. Now it's time for you to relax. And every time I give the same response, if I was a, an Olympic swimmer or if I was a whatever, a runner, would you then ask me to relax and eat some more cake? Like, would that be your immediate answer? No, of course not. You would, you would ask me to train, you know, and exercise and work on my mental state of mind. And you would ask me to, you know, because it, that's natural for a, a sports person. What is the difference between a sports person and a business person? I see no differences. Sleep, exercise, food, mental health, all this, you know, for me, it's the same. So I take my career as serious as if I, it was a sport. So uh, health is very important for me. So I used to see, you know, freedom. That's my first F. And I mean freedom. And when I say freedom, I mean completely freedom. No office. All my employees, everyone works 100% remote from all kinds, all places all over the world. I have no idea what my, oh, I know my PA is in Morocco today, right? Uh, two months ago, she was in Rome and then she was in Singapore. You know, uh, Madeleine, she lives, oh, one of my employees is in New Zealand, actually. I'm just saying my team was hired in Denmark and now they live all over the world because they're so inspired by working remote. I just need access to good Wi-Fi and a good airport, basically. So freedom, fitness, that's my second F, because what is, if I don't have my health, if I don't do my lab work every three months, uh, if I don't eat well, if I don't sleep well, if I don't drink well, and all these kind of things, then I can be as ambitious, ambitious as I will, I want to be, I'll be dead in two years. I travel to, I work in 35 countries, I'm always jet lagged, I'm always tired, my health is super important. Then it's my family. You know, I have two kids. I have a husband and I'm horrible without my family. I feel depressed. I feel lonely. So I have to have a good relationship to my family. So I need to be with my kids. Not every day, but family is very important to me. I want more kids. You know, I'm, I'm totally a family person. And then financial. That's my, that's my fourth F. I need to make money. So money because my, my parents went bankrupt twice. And I, 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 am, I am the ambassador or I am on the board of 11 NGOs, okay? You can only imagine how many hours per month I spent on saving the world. Everything from being the UN Women Ambassador to the Global Dignity to uh, Girls Foundations, Teachers Prize, uh, inter uh, Entrepreneurship Challenge, you know, I'm on the board of everything. So... In, for me, for me to do that, I need to make money. So I'm super pricey. You know, I I I I invoice thirty thousand dollars a day for what I do, 
that's I don't know. I don't know a lot of people who make thirty thousand US dollars a day, but that's as a speaker and as a moderator and consultant. And I work with the thousands biggest companies, McKinsey, Volvo, all these big companies as a consultant. And the thing is, I've decided very early on I'm going to be expensive. I'm going to be good, and I'm going to be expensive. So when people ask me what 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 is your price, I never hesitate. And the thing is, I I get paid, you know. And the thing is. I don't know. So I have four F's, you know. So family, of course, fitness, freedom, and financials. So does it make sense? It does that make long, sense. Yeah, yeah. It was a no, long speech. I, I enjoyed it, though. I enjoyed it. Um, and I, I like the point that you made as well about people telling you what you should be doing as well. And, and I think that's mm. that's because, I mean, you've been you've been working on your values in a reasonably, uh, in a very deep way, to kind of come yeah. up with with what's really important to you, and I think it, it, often people are really, really guilty of just um, basing their values or what they think their values are on what mm. society tries to impose on oh, them. Oh yeah, yeah. And they Praises think, okay, this, yeah, this is what I should, um, this is what I should be be valuing. Um, so this is what I'm going to going to do and then they kind of find oh actually I'm not very happy working towards yeah. these these values that uh, that they have so I don't think that yeah many people spend a great amount of time on no. really defining what their what their values are and actually it's, no you because go. it's painful because yeah. it's painful because it's painful because for instance my husband right he's a super introvert it took him fair a fair amount of years to realize He's a teacher, right? And he's a police officer. I remember he came back. He's a, it takes six, seven years to become a teacher in Denmark. So it's a, it's a good education. It takes long. It's a big investment, right, to become a teacher. And I remember he came back when he graduated. He came back and he was teaching at a school. And he came back and said, oh, my God, Sulaimer, I made a horrible decision. And I said, what is it? He said, I just realized. I just realized I don't like kids. I don't like kids. And I'm like, what? And I mean, don't get me wrong. He likes, you know, our kids. He likes the neighbor's kids. But he don't like teaching kids. And I, I couldn't stop laughing. And he said, oh, my God. After all these years, I've been doing something that's completely wrong. I don't like kids. I cannot be a teacher. Then he realized, you know, uh, he's an introvert. So he now had to redesign his whole life to say, okay, I need to be on my own. And when I say on my own, I want to sit all day long in front of my computer working on stuff that I like without any human contact whatsoever. So when you start visiting your values and when you start being honest about it, then magic happens. He's so successful in building these online communities. He's a community manager. But the thing is, imagine imagine two things, taboos, right? Successful Success in our, success at least in the Western countries means money, Okay, money is, you know, okay, maybe not money. Status, status can come from many things. But let's say family. What if you really don't want to have a family? What, I mean, what if you're a woman and you don't want to have kids? That's super taboo, right? Then you're weird, whatever. How about if you don't want to have employees? What if you, what if you say leadership is not a, like, for a lot of people to be successful means having employees, having a management position in a company. How about you don't like office hours? How about you don't even like having people under you? Like, I mean, there's a lot of things that you have to realize in your life to build a successful life. And values can be a lot of things, but 
you have to you have you have to dare to visit them and be truth to yourself. And social norms are so strong for men being straight or women being straight or how about religion? How about location? How about, you know, designing your life? You know, maybe you don't want to work at all. Maybe you just want to work three hours a week and just make a minimum, minimum wage, you know, and just, I mean, there's a lot of things you have to, um, you have to uh, work against or whatever. But I think the world is opening more and more towards the, the fact that people can design their own life. And again, thanks to technology, you can still have run very successful businesses and be an introvert or whatever. You know, things are benefiting all kinds of people. But you have to be truth to your values. And that I think that's, that's, that's the most painful part because freedom means actually I cannot take a job. I cannot be scheduled to be at the same company for one year doing stuff. Like that's not working. That cannot work. I can only be in one relationship and that's with my husband. Every other person who claims my time or claim me as a person, I cannot do that. So that's that's tough. That's expensive. That costs you a lot of relationships and money and opportunities also. Mm. But it sounds like it's something that works for you because you've, you have defined those values. And if people, I mean, as you say, it's a very uncomfortable process to go yeah. through. And I, oh, yeah. I, I don't even, I don't know that I have kind of fully defined mine yet. Um, mm. I've got a kind of an, an idea, I think of what, um, what some of them are, but for people that are that are looking to define their values like what would be a great first question to be asking themselves on that process first of all there's a lot of learning in your past so one of the things i would recommend you is to look at your past and look at what has been your what have been ups and downs in your life what is motivating you what have been what have been your traumas like everyone is traumatized right Every single person on earth has some big secrets and a trauma. And uh, and I'm even traumatizing my kids now, right? I mean, every parent is traumatizing their kids. So everyone has a trauma. Understand your past because in your past, that's where you can find your talents. That's where you can find your purpose. That is where you can find your drivers. That's where you can find your strength. Everything is in the past. You shouldn't live in the past. You should just draw a line and say, my childhood is not coming back. Now I look forward, right? So don't drill with the past. I don't like that. Move on. But there's a lot of learning in your past. But the first and most important question, again, this is probably the most hard work for all people is to find their values and really find the real values and not borrowing your values or just, you know, people think they can put in, you know, $1 in a uh, ATM and, and then there will come out some values. That's not how it works. It's really deep digging. It takes time, sometimes even years. But you have to ask yourself, what is really important to me? Like what really matters? What is so important to me that I'm willing to sacrifice for it? I wouldn't say kill for it because it's you shouldn't be killing anyone. But, you know, what is really so important to you? Uh, what, what really matters? And that and then you write down maybe 10 words, you know, loyalty or whatever. You know, you can write down a lot of things. Uh, nature or you know people come up with all kinds of things and then I always ask them have you ever sacrificed anything to be truth to your values because it's so cheap it's so easy to say oh my value is family and when you start asking them how much do you spend time with your family what do you do that's benefiting your family you know 
So then, then people start saying, oh, okay, you're not, okay, you're right. I'm not a family person. I have a family, but I actually prefer my job or I, I prefer traveling or I, you know, okay, fine. Just be honest about it. Right. So there's a lot of controversials in it and, and soul digging work, but what, what is very important to you? And yeah, it's, it's very difficult. And I mean, if you Google values, right, you will get a list of 300 words and, uh, and you start looking at it, right? But the, your values have to, be, have to become so deep that, for instance, what does it mean to have family as a, uh, as a value? For me, family means I get invited all the time to stuff, meaning if a dinner starts 7.30 and if it's a no, if it's a no bring no kids dinner, whatever, I would say, okay, I'll be there at 9 p.m. because it's important for me to put the kids to bed when I'm in the U.S. because I travel a lot. Uh, family also means that... Uh, there's certain things I don't do if I can't bring my family. Freedom means there's stuff I say no to because I'm I will I will violate my my sense and feeling of freedom. Economy, for instance, I don't do free stuff. You know, if people don't want to pay me anything or if they don't want to pay my one of my foundations for the work I do, then I don't work with you, right? So that there's a lot of things that I'm so truth towards that people just like. I don't feel I get lost. I, I'm never in a situation where I go to bed in the evening and I said, oh, fuck, I shouldn't have done business with him or I shouldn't have said yes. I know. And it makes my life very efficient. And I regret very seldom what I do because I know why I did it or why I did not do it. And I, always, I can always explain why because it's so clear. So it's a decision-making process tool, if you like. Mm, mm. I like that. And I think um, I, I had a question for you around mm. how you how you do manage all your time because you're involved in so mm. much stuff. But I think mm. you have, you've actually just answered that is that mm. you're really clear about your values and mm. and kind of where they where they lie. And actually, that's just mm. how you how you base your time and how you base your life and um, put things in that are um, are important to you at the right time. Or are there any other kind of uh, ways that you you fit so much in to what uh, yeah. what time you I mean, have. So time, I mean, I only have 24 hours like you and I mm. need to sleep at least seven of them. I mean, that's a, that's a decision. When I work and when I travel, I'm, I don't get as much sleep. That's, that's clear to everyone. But when I'm in, when I'm with, when I'm with my family here in the U S I get my sleep every night and eat healthy. I exercise every day and all that. But, uh, but with the time I have, first of all, I have really good routines in the morning. Uh, I I get up with my family and I you know bring the kids to school. Then I do my then I have my trainer and I put a lot of effort in my exercise. Not because I want to look great, but because I want to feel strong and great, and I want to survive my own life. Then I then I work primarily from nine thirty to three thirty or something. I work pretty concentrated on my columns, blogs, books, talks, Skype meetings. When I work with Europe, I get up 3 a.m. to do my meetings because they're nine hours ahead. But but I'm pretty focused. And then I pick up the kids. Every day I'm with my kids. And then I spend a few hours with them. We go do something. We go to sport, whatever. And then I work a little bit in the evening, but not so much. I don't, I don't work like 75 hours a week. Every time I hear someone saying, oh, I work 68 hours a week, I always say, you, must, you have to work with your efficiency. I mean, oh, my God, you're not very good in disciplining uh discipline and 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 focus and uh and the thing is every day i have a list of two three things that i need to accomplish not any not more and then i get that done really well 
also because a lot of the things that I do, I have to be rested, I have to be sharp, I have to be charming, I'm raising money or I'm investing. I cannot be like, it's, it's a very important job that I, that I have. And then I have people. Like my very first hire 10, 11 years ago was my PA. I, I, I hired, my first two hires was a driver and a PA. And uh, and I even wrote a column said why your first hire should be a PA and people went berserk on LinkedIn I think because they were like why I mean PA and I said yeah because you need someone to answer your emails the one that you don't want to answer you have to someone to schedule your flights and do all these kind of things so you can focus on what's very important so basically I only spend time on what really makes sense and she is yeah she is uh, and then I have yeah I mean support network around me so. For me, in order to make more money and have more impact, I need people to take care of things that is that are not important. And my PAs and my employees all know what things they should give to me and what they should be handling. And they have the ultimate freedom to handle it. I never counter-strike or whatever. They do it. I trust them. How long has it taken to build that trust in them? I'm so good at hiring people. Like I really am. <laughs> First of all, I don't look at CVs at all. You know, no, I don't. I don't even know the C, the resume of my PA or or Melina or Madeline, as you know, you know her. I mean, I, I've never seen it. I've never look, looked at the resumes. I don't. I, I don't pay attention to that. I pay attention to shining eyes. You know, at least when I meet them physically, that one time or whatever, how many times I meet them, and I want to. I, I listen to them. What What do they want to accomplish in life, and why do they want to work with me? Not for me, but why would they work with me? And like, for instance, my PA, she's been my PA, I don't know, five, six years, five years, maybe six years. She don't want to be employed. See, if you interview her, she would actually be saying, well, I'm, I'm working with Sulaima because I want to be independent. I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, she's studying entrepreneurship uh, in the nights at Copenhagen Business School. And so she's, she's here for learning. Does it make sense? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I hire people because they have a purpose of what they're doing. So I, tr- I trust them. There's a lot of people I don't trust, but if I don't trust them, I don't hire them. So, uh, but, but I'm pretty much aware that I have a bias. I have biases. You have biases. I primarily hire women. That's my big thing. And yeah, I, I mean, fairly, I have a web, web team there, primarily men. And, but no, I don't hire men. So I'm, I'm fully aware that I am super biased myself. But I just tend to um, trust women more in my support group network uh, in my company. So that's, of course, something you could challenge me on, but I'm, at least I'm being honest, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, it's, it's really valuable to understand your biases as well. And it's fine, as, as you say, it's fine to, fine to have certain biases. There's probably some biases that you shouldn't be having. Um, <laughs> but I think if you, if you understand your own biases, mm-hmm. um, that really helps understand the way that you do things and the way that you uh, approach them. Um, so if you if you are challenged on them, then yeah. you actually understand why you've why you've made that decision. And if you take them into account as you're making decisions, then you think, oh, actually, am I making the best decision here, or am I making a decision based on this bias that I've just developed over the course of my life? You know what? Actually, as a business person, sometimes I invest a lot of money in things, and you know, sometimes I jeopardize a lot. Uh, a few years ago, I jeopardized entirely what I have had in my, in my bank account. I created a small bank with two other people. It's a long story, but 
Uh, and I remember my husband said, so how much did you invest? And I said, everything. And he said, oh, really? I said, yes, if this is, this doesn't work, we'll lose everything. And he just laughed and, you know, so it was really, uh, so sometimes I make big decisions based on, you know, feelings, research, due diligence, but in the end of the day, I've been taking classes at the Kennedy school, Yale, Berkeley, Stanford, you know, I've, I've been trying to understand how to become a rational decision maker most of my life, right? Because if you can make bold, bulletproof, rational decisions, I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? But truth being is, the more I study, the more I understand that I will never become rational. However, what I can do is, is to make sure that I have really irritating people around me, people who disagree, people who might not even like me, you know, not too much at least, right? If they adore me, it's useless. So in my organization, we have this one rule. You cannot say I'm, ama- I'm amazing, right? It's, I mean, don't even say it. Just Because if I start having people around me who think I'm amazing at everything I do, the learning stops, you know, and so it's an unhealthy relationship. So I always, when people give me a good advice, then I always ask them, give me one or, or two reasons why I should not listen to you. Because if people around me are not aware themselves about their biases, then their advice is useless. So decision-making is itself a topic that I never really will be mastering because it's impossible. Mm. It's impossible. There's a great, uh, I think there's a great quote or a great concept out there that there is no such thing as a good decision. There's only a decision and then it's up up to you to make it good or bad. Yeah. Yeah, so that's impossible. So I, I, I recommend people to spend more time in understanding their own biases. So for instance, of course, I like women, women you know, I like ambitious women. I like, uh, I like Danes, right? I mean, I'm, I'm half Danish. So I have all these biases. I like people who are moms, you know, I, they, I have this amazing, tremendously amount of biases. I like people who are 42, right? Because it's my own generation, you know, so there's a lot of things going on. And every time I meet and face my biases, I think about it, right? And then I find a way to challenge myself. But frankly, it's the most difficult thing is to to be aware of your biases because it's like having something in between your teeth, right? You have to have someone coming and say, hey, you have some spinach in your teeth, right? Oh, oh, really? It's it, that's how it works. But at least, you know, there's so many books, there's so many classes, people are talking about biases like no one, be, like never before is research, you do brain scans, we know all this. So the knowledge is out there. Uh, and people who are in charge of politics, financial institutions, education, they need really to understand biases, because every di- every day they turn down businesses, banks, for instance, who, who are they lending money to businesses they know? Business they can recommend, business that they can understand, uh, or do they invest in the in the businesses who have the brightest future? Right? How about education? Does teacher teachers like all kids, or do they preferly see talents in kids they they can recognize and something they've seen before? Like politics benefits that politics that you're about to implement. Who who is that politics going to benefit? You know so. Decision makers, lawmakers, all of them, I just want them so badly to be aware of. I mean, the worst thing that can happen with my biases, I invest in the wrong company, I might hire the wrong person. It's all, it's all relative, right? It's all relative. Uh, but I think 
the further up you go in the hierarchy, they should be more aware of their biases. That's just my frank uh, yeah, mm. opinion. How many of them do you think are aware of their biases? <laughs> I don't know. I'm putting I words I, in your mouth here. I know, I know. I, so the thing is, I, I hang out with politicians. I do that, of course, because I'm, I'm, I'm on so many different and have been on so many different uh, foundations, you know, appointed by the minister for this or appointed by the minister for that. And uh, I think politicians are more... Uh, uh, it's about the election, right? It's about getting reelected. It's about building the re- the right ties to the right parties and be friends. And so I don't know if they're really aware of biases. I mean, researchers are probably giving them a lot of stuff and research, but I'm not so sure they read it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think when I talk about biases, really the people who really know something about it, um, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who are investing their own money, who have something on stake. Who knows that if they make a wrong decision or if they hire the wrong person, then it has a huge consequence for their money or business. I think business people are pre- getting more and more aware of who do I hire, who do I fire, why do I believe that a white male dropout is a better investment than a Latino woman from Seattle, you know, both in tech. You know, I think they're getting more and more aware of this. But again, 40 billion, for every 40 billion, Venture capitalists are investing in in businesses. It's for men, and for every forty billion, one billion goes to women. So clearly, we have biases in favor of men. So you know, it's it's just it's, it's going to take a long time. Like prime ministers, right? Female prime ministers, not so many, right? New Zealand. So we, I know, and a good one even. Congratulations! You must be very proud of her. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. No, really. So you know, it's it's. Uh, <sighs> You know, the whole gender thing, gender, uh, educational biases, uh, race, religion, sexuality. Like, I could keep going. Uh, but one of the things that are really obvious is men versus women, women, right? So we still have a long way to go. It's got to take my daughter's daughter, maybe her daughter too, three generations before we have truly equality. So it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Mm, mm. Salima, there is so much that I could talk with you about, and um, you actually probably need to go and pick up your kids in the not too distant future. It's uh, it's Friday over there. Um, I want to ask you some questions that I ask everyone towards the end of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, and I think the first one that I want to ask you is, what is the last uncomfortable thing that you did? And how did you get through it? And I think we we talked at the start uh, before we started mm. recording. I might know the answer to this one. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So first of all, I do uncomfortable things all the time. I push my own boundaries all the time. And I don't do any benchmarking. So I don't look at people around me and say, oh, he couldn't climb this mountain or he couldn't run this run or he couldn't. So probably I can't either. I don't look at people. I don't do benchmarking, right? So that's first of all. Uh, I just moved to Palo Alto, Silicon Valley, uh, three weeks ago. And let me give you a short story. When I was, when I had my first son, it was back in 2007. He was a few weeks old. And the foreign ministry uh, in Denmark asked me to take a position as a CEO of the Innovation Center in Silicon Valley. This is 10 years ago. I was, you know, young and Silicon Valley was kind of, you know, something that I thought at that time was unbelievable interesting because it's tech, it's future, smart people, 
and great universities. And you know, I like that combination. It, it might be a bubble, but it's an interesting one at least. And then uh, I remember I fall in love with Palo Alto, but I, I didn't want to take the job because again, my freedom. So, um, and Silicon Valley kept staying in the back of my head. And I kept saying, you know, why should I go to Silicon Valley? What do I have to offer? Like I had to work with my mental state of mind because only sm- a lot of smart people are here. And so I was struggling. Who am I to think that I can become a success in Palo Alto, in Silicon Valley, San Francisco? Who am I to think that? So uh, by moving here, I put myself out there, right? This morning I had a meeting with probably the most powerful female venture capitalist. She's on the board of, give me the name of the 10 biggest tech companies with a woman on board and she is the one. And we had a conversation and she was like, okay, let me know. What do you want to do? What, what, doors, what doors do you need me to open? What's your skills? What's your talents? And it made me highly uncomfortable because I'm here. I invested all my time. I moved my, par- my parents. No, I moved my kids. I moved my husband. We live in a nice house in Palo Alto. I'm, I'm burning a lot of cash, right? Uh, every day to stay here. I'm making money, but I'm also burning a lot. So that makes me highly uncomfortable. But it's so exciting that I, you know, I'm high on adrenaline and whatever. I'm so high in my own life. I don't even need to drink wine. I don't even need to smoke cannabis or whatever is is legal in California. I don't need anything of this because my life makes me high. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm out of completely out of my comfort zone. And I think it's the most brilliant feeling in my life. And I have put everything on stake. You know what I just did yesterday? For the first time ever, I post on Facebook. I'm one of these people who post things on Facebook. And I posted a picture of myself. You see me from behind. And I'm turning my face away from the camera. And I said, you know, guys, this is a big thing. I'm turning my back to Europe. I'm not coming to Europe serving any of my clients for the next six months. I'm staying in U.S. I've never in my life been focused on one geographical area ever before. I'm global, right? But I'm staying in the U.S. for the next six months. I'm investing all my time in making U.S. a success. And people are like, congratulations, and that's a good decision. And that makes me very uncomfortable. Meaning, everyone who wants to hire me as a speaker or consultant, I turn down clients, and you know my rates, every day. So as I sit and speak to you, I'm turning down clients. And that's very uncomfortable for a woman who lost everything several times in my life. And I know the pain of being bankrupt. So I'm in a very uncomfortable state of mind. But you know what happened when I posted this yesterday? Three people posted right away. That's good news. Can we hire you? We want you. Come to this conference. Let's do work. So I don't know. I don't know. Mm, That's cool. That's cool. Um, Salima, what is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? And why is that uncomfortable for you? Uh, what is the next? Uh, a lot of things. So I think focusing on US is uncomfortable because you know I'll, I'll, I'll it's it's new. The next very uncomfortable things for me thing is um, what is the next uncomfortable thing? I'm investing in a few companies, but actually, okay, I think actually the most uncomfortable thing, uncomfortable that makes me nervous. I'm 42 and I just decided to to get a third child. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. And I'm being very honest about it. And that's also one of the reasons why I stay in the U.S. is because, you know, I need a better balance in traveling. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable. Like, how does it, what, does it, what does it do to my business if I expand my family? But, my, but remember, my values are family. 
So if, if I don't do this, if I, if I don't try at least, I know I'm going to be bitter. And, you know, the, the feeling that I'm most afraid of is not regretting or making mistakes. It's when I see someone who has turned bitter. You know what I mean? Mm. That bitterness in people's eyes. So if I, don't, if I don't try to expand my family, I'm going to be so bitter of not trying. So that makes me uncomfortable. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And congratulations. That's a... Uh... Oh. Uh, let's see, cool, let's see. Cool decision see. to make, yeah. And uh, I wish you I wish you all the best of luck with it. And uh, so at much. the very least, it is fun trying. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Salima, um, I mean, we've talked a lot about it already today, but do you have any other strategies that you use for approaching uncomfortable situations? Mm. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you have to understand and remind yourself why you're doing it. So... People can run a marathon. Why can they do it? Why can they do? Why can why can normal people run a marathon? They can run a marathon because it takes them between four and six, seven hours, right? They know there's a finish line, and they know they will get a uh, snack and yeah. and friends. You know, they know that. You know, so when you when you know why you're doing something, when there's a purpose, whether it's staying in your soul sucking job for two years, you can do that because you know for that money that you will save or by by working under this boss it's going to elevate you to something next two years ago or to, in the next two years or whatever whatever you do as long as you understand why you're doing it it's easy to be uncomfortable right like i i dare to be in my uncomfortable situation because i know there's i know why i'm doing it so one of the things that i do is first of all i tell people around me what i'm going to do and i ask them not to feel pity they shouldn't stop they shouldn't they shouldn't tell me to to relax or stop. They should con- they should encourage me to continue. They should keep saying, "Keep walking." Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Don't. It's like going into war, right? And if you don't burn your ships, you will return from the war because you know that that it was too tough fighting. So you ask people to support you in continuing what you're doing. So they need to understand why you're doing and what you're doing. And then just a simple thing: writing a note, put it on your whatever fridge or whatever why i'm why i am doing what i'm doing right whether it's being losing 10 10 pounds and you were right i'm only eating healthy because i'm losing 10 pounds or whatever remind yourself about why you're doing it because when it gets tough your brain gets lazy and your and your brain wants to go back to old habits and your brain wants you to survive so your brain wants to get you out of uncomfortable situations so by understanding the power of habits the power of your brain and the the power of setting clear goals, when you have these three things together, then you will be successful with whatever you want to achieve in your life. Mm, that is awesome. I think that's a great strategy. Um, Salima, two more quick questions for you, but I just Absolutely. want to take a moment to say thank you so much for, for sharing your time to, uh, with me today, turning down a lot of other opportunities that you uh, <laughs> that you could have had. But I also want to say thank you for... I want to say thank you for your ambition as well and and the strategy that you've put in place to keep working towards that you're a, you're a shining example of what what you can achieve um yeah. and I think it's amazing that you're sharing the knowledge that you've gained through that process with the world about how other people can can do it also so uh, very appreciate uh, very much appreciate it Absolutely. You know, if I'm, I'm that kind of person, if you invite me to a party, I will always ask, can I bring a friend? 
can I bring more friends? You know, I always open the door, whether it's being speaking on a panel or going to a conference, I always use the plus one. Does it make sense? I mm. always I always look and and think who could I bring? Who would who would benefit? Have fun, learn by being with me. Uh, so just like other people help me, I help people. And you know, there's nothing more satisfying in in life than receiving a super nice note from someone who said, thank you, you gave me just what I was missing, or I didn't think, I now I know I'm not the only one, or whatever. I, I like that, you know, the, the most beautiful sound in the world is when a person finds him or her home. You know, that feeling, wherever that is, whether it's a little dream or a big dream, or it's whatever you want to do in your life, when that person finds home, it's a beautiful sound. And you, you can tell. When someone is home, it's a beautiful sound. It's, I don't know, that's the biggest pleasure in my life mm. to hear that. Awesome. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, so, Ima, if people are interested in your stuff, mm? where can they go? How can they, uh, how can they learn more from you? How can they support you? <laughs> you know, they can support me by listening to your podcast because I think you have the most awesome podcast by talking about how to be uncomfortable and challenge yourself. So keep listening to this podcast. That will help me a lot. Uh, secondly, they can, of course, go to my homepage, suelima.com. It's very difficult to uh, to pronounce, but it's soulima.com. Uh, but, uh, you know, they can support me just by supporting women, supporting colored women, immigrants, uh, acknowledging that we are not the same. And people, you can support me by next time you see a person and you can't really see that this person is specifically talented, stop judging. Just ask a few more questions. And you know, everyone has a talent. So if you really want to support me, you should do it by supporting other people that you might not really see as bright stars or anything, but just pay attention and listen to them. That's, that's the best way to help me is to help others. Cool. So everyone can support you every minute of the day almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Small things does make a big difference. Thank you. Perfect. Um, final question for you is, do you have a yeah. challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, what is your biggest fear, right? Because we are so driven by fear. We have six different fears in life that's, you know, holding us back. Uh, I will ask you one question. What if, what is the consequence if you don't do what you really dream of doing? If you continue to do what you do today, whatever that is, where will you be three years from now? And will that position, location, will that be satisfying for you? Is that something that makes you happy to think about? What is your biggest fear? And is your biggest fear really your biggest fear? Because when you realize what your biggest fear is, when you write it down, of course, dying is a big fear, right? But the thing is, what is your biggest fear? Is that really a fear or is it more that you have fear of people not loving you, not liking you, laughing at you? You know, what is your biggest fear? And is it rational? Because I realized by removing fear of my life, I have no more limits in my life. There's no limit. The only limit I have is time and physically, you know, that's just the amount of things that I can do physically and whatever. I have no boundaries. I have no limits. I have nothing that holds me back. The only thing that holds me back is what my mind cannot capture or envision or whatever. So face, understand your, your fears and understand your biggest dream. And think about if you continue to do what you do today by not changing anything, will you then 
be facing and realizing your dream or will you be stuck? And being stuck is not nice. Too often, fear keeps you away from realizing your potential. So put one fear down and this should be your biggest fear in life and look at it, really look at it and just discuss with yourself, am I willing to fight that fear? Really? That's a very good challenge to leave us with. Saloma, (laughs) thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Always. That was a big pleasure. Great pleasure. Thank you. I enjoyed every single minute. Thank you so much for inviting me. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Solima today. Uh, as she said, one of the best ways you can support her is to continue listening to the podcast. So make sure that you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Uh, if you've been listening for a while and you're enjoying what you're hearing, make sure you leave us a rating and review. It helps get the uncomfortable is okay message and concept out into more minds and more ears. Uh, I want to say thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond as always for the amazing theme music. Thank you for everyone else that kind of supports me on the show. Uh, And thank you for you guys for getting uncomfortable with Soloma and I today. Uh, Stay tuned for Friday's mini episode about why you should live like a dog. We'll see you all on Friday. Mm